Hi, my name is Amy Honorado, and you're listening to another one of our DMN 101 podcasts. I'm joined here today with Jim Ficina, the CEO of Ficina Marketing Group. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about the subscription uh, economy. So um, I know, as you know, and, and as, you, as you may be familiar, Jim, you've worked in the business for, for quite a long time now, um, working with the subscription economy and the subscription business. Um, tell me a little bit about where things have started and where things are kind of moving today. Perfect. Well, Amy, first of all, thank you very much for having me today on your podcast. And uh, so, yes, I have been in the business for quite some time, uh, going on almost 30 years in direct-to-consumer subscription. And so where we see the market going today is very different where the market was going yesterday. Um, We see that the consumer purchase behavior for uh, subscribe, receive, and recur is uh, growing at a real exponential rate. Um, just just today, um, if you look at from a year ago, we probably have about twice the amount of subscription offerings out there than it was a year ago, and it continues to grow uh, very strong. It's a consumer purchase behavior that we seem to see happening amongst our millennial group and uh, now our centennial group, where a point of convenience and uh, receiving product directly to home that has real relevance to their wants, needs, and desires is uh, is, is a service that uh, that they are looking for. So it's uh, certainly on an explosive growth track. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the numbers show that, that year over year, especially with the emergence of these popular platforms, I guess Netflix was a pioneer on this, on the streaming and entertainment uh, aspect of it. Uh, Amazon has always kind of been hailed as this Direct to consumer type of type of business model, and that from those foundations, it has really kind of evolved over the last five years, especially. Can we talk a little bit about kind of the early the early players in the game and how they have kind of set the stage for the subscription economy as a whole? So I think some of the early players in in, in the game um, really set the table for um, bringing new competition to the uh, marketplace. So um, whether it's a Netflix or um, look, even look at uh, Spotify and uh, Apple now, um, whereas Spotify clear heads and shoulders uh, overall is now um, being chased by Apple and and right on the tail, right on their tail, and so you know the marketplace has um, really now moved towards not only just a subscription type of format and the uh, need, want, and desire. But they're they're shopping it, and it's becoming competitive. And you're probably starting to see lots of price pressure out there. And uh, look, even like MoviePass today, right? Um, you have uh, MoviePass trying to figure out whether or not they they actually put the right subscription model out there, a profitable subscription model, and a, a model that is sustainable. And so, uh, you know, some of the early trendsetters um, was really looking to. Um, do a land grab, if you would, and uh, pick up uh, market share. And today, now, I think you have a uh, competitive set that is uh, really going to provide consumers different options. It's interesting, too, because there's so many different verticals that this type of model can exist in. So you have the Netflix and the Spotify's that really focus on the streaming services with music, with entertainment. You Even Amazon Prime has their, their movie sort of downloadability. Then you have the kind of directed consumers, the meal kit industry, which is something that has been booming over the last couple of years with the Blue Apron and HelloFresh, and even with cosmetics or with Birchbox or pet food with BarkBox. There's all these different ways that you can kind of differentiate and capitalize on that. 
So what are the challenges? It's a very different type of experience, you know, doing everything digital with movie downloads or music streaming than to actually have a, a physical, tangible product that you're delivering. It's a whole different type of, you know, cost factors and all of that. So can you talk a little bit about the differences there and, and maybe some of the challenges you would face kind of on both sides, the digital and, and the physical delivery Abs- services? Absolutely. So, 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 so first of all, it's when you look at what's happening today, this is a consumer purchase behavior. So it becomes an outlet. It becomes a channel. And it's so if you're, if, if you're consuming content, whether that content is in a physical, tangible paper type of format or in a digital or a streaming format, you're still consuming content. So our consumption desires haven't changed. Our consumption patterns are changing. So, and, and, and the verticals even, even extend out even beyond some of what we're discussing here. So, so we have OTT, we have digital, we have streaming, we have tangible product that could be a consumable product, an ingestible product that could be a replenishable product in the health and the beauty or in the healthcare need. Um, that could be a, um, a, a product of collectible type. It could even be product in sustained giving in the not-for-profit world where uh, you're the, it's instead of, instead of becoming part of the, um, the, the pledge drive and giving a singular type of donation, you're giving small bits of donation um, on a subscription basis uh, on, on a regular basis. Uh, we got a phone call coming in here for a moment, we'll put that on pause. We're very busy over here at the office at DMN. No problem. <laughs> um, it's like somebody was trying to call us to yeah, subscribe to something. Exactly. So, so these these verticals are um, it, again, it's a channel of consumption. Okay, but it's it's still the needs, wants, and desires of people's purchasing decisions. What do we have to look out for? Well, so first of all, we have to make sure that we have a really strong value proposition. Without a strong value proposition, okay, let's say on the physical side, just putting stuff in a box doesn't mean somebody's going to buy because you put stuff in a box, okay? Um, and so, you know, we could differentiate between surprise and delight, and we know what's in the box versus we don't know what's in the box, or we can um, curate for our customers, um, or our customers can choose exactly what they want to receive on a um, interim basis. Um, but the the reality is, is if we don't have a value proposition um, for that product, for that consumer, um, for for the product of innovation, uh, then then it's not going to have any a real meaning to uh, that consumer. That's one. Um, the second is, just because we acquired that consumer, acquiring a customer is not acquiring a subscriber. A subscriber is somebody who is coming in, they are subscribing, they are buying not one time, two times, three times, four times. And so, you know, to so many, we, we've seen it that, um, that if you put a subscription out there and you acquire a customer, there's a thought pattern that they'll just come back. Well, they're not going to just come back. You have to engage with that consumer and keep that, keep your product or your service top of mind with that consumer, so that from month to month or week to week or quarter to quarter, um, they want to continue engaging with you. The worst thing we could do is to only communicate with our customers, our subscribers, when it's time for them to acknowledge a charge to their billing, and so. 
We often see that as one of the m most critical downfalls in the subscription market where, where companies are not engaging their consumers and, and shifting the loyalty of, of company to consumer versus consumer to company. Um, we, we see that happening and so there's a sharp decline in retention and so, you know, it's, it's great to get lots of subscribers but if they're not going to stick then there's, not, then there's no li lifetime value. That is going to translate to whether it's a physical product, a digital product, a sustained giving in the not-for-profit world. If you're not giving them a value proposition that really has them engaged, um, the, biggest, the biggest downfall is that you're going to lose the subscriber. We have to think about too you know, the whole, one of the value propositions that makes the subscription model so appealing for consumers is that direct to your door. You don't have to go out to a store to buy something. You get if you choose to curate, you get everything that you need delivered to you right on time, right when you want it. And consumers are willing to pay for that, and they're willing to pay for that convenience. So upholding that type of customer experience and making sure that you're constantly delivering on that, you have to justify them paying a premium price, essentially. Absolutely. And remember, they, every marketer is just a single point and click away from the competition and defection. So, so whether it's a Blue Apron or it's plated or it's freshly or it's HelloFresh, uh, you know, the, these, are, these are meal kit programs that are coming directly to your home. It, it has the convenience factor, it has the ingredients, it has the instructions. Okay, how are they going to differentiate themselves so that um, the loyalty to one of those particular um, meal kit programs is going to be heads and shoulders over the other? Right, so so there's there's lots of trial out there by subscribers. Okay, so and there's lots of defection. So if you're not really differentiating yourself, even the whole realm of this convenience and and to my door and even all of the extra bonuses that you might be able to provide, if the value proposition isn't there, if the customer service isn't isn't um, stellar, um, if the pricing isn't competitive. Um, there, there's a significant risk to uh, defection. Yeah, so you mentioned, you bring up something interesting there, you say competitive pricing. So it's interesting, you know, as this model matures, you know, the idea is, is for companies to, to continue to make money. And, and with a lot of subscription services, there's the idea, or any sort of contractual year-long contract, anything that you kind of sign up for, there is that upsell element, or that is that, hey, after a year, we'll increase our prices. Amazon just increased, for example, their Prime subscription. Um, I believe it was about $10 or so um, year over year. There's been reports that Amazon may or may not be testing different types of tiered programs like that as well. Is that a, you know, what, is that a competitive move for them? Uh, is there, I mean, from your experience, do you think that there is that sort of threshold where customers say, hey, X amount is too much money for me to pay for this. This isn't worth it. And how can companies be mindful of that? So I think you bring up a good point. There's always that threshold. And when you take, when you look at what Amazon did with increasing Prime, um, it was it, it was quite genius. Uh, so so they, they they took a step back, and they looked at the loyalty they had already established with their Prime service. So if you sign up for Prime, and it was $99 uh, a year, and now it's $119 a year, I mean, that's a 20% increase. And if you, if you take that across all of the Prime members, okay, this grandfathering coming in, 
That is a $2 billion benefit to the bottom line for Amazon. But they earned it, right? They earned it. So um, all this time as they've been developing the prime service, okay, which is more than just shipping, okay, they've developed a real customer experience that they, they've likened their prime service to not being able to separate yourself from your mobile device. It's, it's, it's a survival um, type of uh, product for many people. And Amazon worked very, very hard at doing that. So, so to think that we could just go out and raise prices, we can't do that. We have to make sure that we are really backing it up with, um, with, with, with history of service and added benefit and value in order to do that. And so that's an upsell within, I guess, Prime. But when you really think about it, what did Prime do all along the way? They added different components so that they could support this upsell. You, you talk about upselling in the subscription world, and um, that is really the absolute golden opportunity for anybody who has brought in a subscriber. If you brought in a subscriber and they're interacting with your product, if you have other products of similar or like, or, or could be product that are just complementary, you already own that customer. And you can upsell that customer into different types of products. So let's take, let's take um, meal kits, okay? So people who are receiving meal kits at home, um, because we have to eat every single day, okay? People who are receiving meal kits at home are probably open to receiving other types of products at home, other beauty products, other um, you know health and wellness types of uh, products. Uh, so you know the opportunity to upsell to a consumer, okay, with multiple products is a, the is really a key formula in uh, in subscription marketing. That's one. That's one kind of that upsell opportunity is definitely one way that companies today are are embracing that. But let's look at the other the other way. Sort of what I guess movie passes is probably one of the better examples of this, where they're actually. I mean, a lot of what we what we see and when we read about movie pass is that they're they're banking on their on that on building that loyalty first. So they're not exactly profitable as of yet, but they're banking on build, on building that on building that loyalty and, and making sure that they have this subscriber base. Is are are they taking too much of a risk? Is it is it too is that a risky maneuver or is it something that they can make work? So I, the risky maneuver uh, as I see it from MoviePass is as they came out with a very attractive offer, which um, which which attracted a lot of subscribers, um, the question is, did anybody really model out the true KPIs of um, the the cost of acquisition, how long they're going to retain, and the lifetime value? So, you know, we can have we can bank as much as we want on the opportunity of futures, okay. But if you can't generate the lifetime value of the, of, of the existing transaction so that it could bring you to maybe not even profitability, but to break even so that you can leverage that, right. um, then, then, then I see that as a uh, very risky move. The, 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 the larger risk that I see with a movie pass was they actually had to come out and adjust their offering. And, and I don't think this is the first adjustment we're gonna see. I think we're gonna see another adjustment. And so, again, you know, one of the concerns that 
I see in the subscription landscape is companies coming out and trying to do a land grab. And so, and trying to bring on as many customers as they can and acquire as many customers as we can. And that's great, okay, with one exception. If that customer has a bad experience where we have to increase pricing, but yet we can't increase services, we're gonna lose that customer so fast, okay? Um, custom, subscribers really don't have a, a, a real strong tolerance for change that is not change in their favor. So my advice to any company who's bringing subscription, um, a, a subscription channel to the marketplace for one of their product services or innovation is make sure that you can fulfill against what you're promising the consumer in, in longevity uh, because if you have to backtrack, uh, the cost of defection is severe. Absolutely, and, and there might be, in that case, you know, the negative backlash from the customer experience, negative reviews, um, maybe even from marketing, putting out that extra effort to keep them on board if you all of a sudden make a change without proper warning. So does that fall on marketing's hands saying, hey, we need to make these changes, we need to ease the customer into this so that they're more accepting and they're not just gonna drop us flat? So you, you know, that's a really curious point, right? So yes, now, now marketing definitely has their hands full in trying to determine how are they going to cradle the customer, Even customer and success. coddle the customer into feeling good about increasing price without increasing service, okay? But I would actually rewind it and say that it is absolutely key and critical that marketing and, and finance and analysis are um, lockstep together in really ensuring whether or not a value proposition that they're bringing out to a consumer is a sustainable, sustainable value proposition. So often, often there assumption, there's assumptions made that a consumer's going to stay for some amount of time. Okay, what, what curve was that built off of? What, 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 what research did we do to, um, to determine that we're gonna have, you know, for all subscribers uh, that come in, um, they're gonna go to the second transaction, they're gonna go to the third transaction, the fourth transaction. Who, who's developing that overall lifetime value pro forma P&L to determine whether or not we can keep our promises? Marketing should not be going out to market with an offer that cannot be sustained by the um, by by financial uh, assumptions that are somewhat sound. Yeah, and then I guess kind of care and keeping. You always have to revisit and keep track of your successes, especially as you grow as a business. So how often do you think that you set your KPIs, but how often should you revisit them and maybe adjust them to e either account for growth or or count your successes and failures so that you're keeping on track and you're growing appropriately. KPIs need to be checked in real time. So if you're, if, if let's, let's say you're a digital streaming type of subscription uh, and somebody subscribes, okay, you should be checking your same day cancels. Same day, every day, same day cancels. And then 24 hours later, who canceled? And if there was a seven day trial, how many people cancel on day three, four, five, six, and seven? And then once we get to day seven or eight, how many people have actually converted and their credit card successfully um, went through and they didn't cancel? And then how many went to the second turn and the third turn? So, you know, if you're going to be in the subscription market, 
you have to have a deep bench of analytics because your KPI set has to be revisited daily, okay? Because as you're, as you're bringing in subscribers from this particular um, category or venue um, or, or a cohort from a different um, category uh, or a different media channel, you have to be able to understand the differences of does the offer, does the creative, and does the long-term value proposition resonate with that consumer in that channel to be profitable? And so, you know, everybody, everybody who's bringing a subscription um, offering to market, um, I believe, is in the for-profit world. And so, um, and even the not-for-profits are in the, you know, raising funds for their cause. And so, if you're not checking your KPIs, I mean, we, we're checking KPIs every single day, and um, we're building algorithms that um, help us identify when our KPIs are falling outside of our um, tolerance levels. Absolutely, and you know, we're just about at time right now, but I want to leave you with one more question. Just kind of looking ahead, you know, what are the things, being in this business and working in this business, what are you most excited about for the future of the subscription economy and where do you think things are going? Oh, I think uh, from, from, from an excitement standpoint, uh, we, are de- we are definitely living in a um, time where we haven't seen this kind of consumer purchase behavior in uh, this type of excitement around this consumer purchase behavior and this type of growth in this consumer, uh, consumer purchase behavior. We haven't seen this in a very long time and it's being embraced. So uh, there are too many consumers out there who are really looking to want to subscribe to convenience, ease, needs, and wants. Uh, and we're all time impoverished, okay? We are in the perfect, um, the, the perfect setting to bring convenience directly to the home. Uh, I'm excited because I think we're gonna continue seeing exponential growth. So, you know, there's been talk out there about, um, you know, will there be some level of pullback in the subscription market? Um, no, I think you're gonna continue to see more goods and services brought to um, this is the subscription channel. I think what you're gonna see is you're gonna see the players who are highly attentive to their consumers they're going to be the winners. And the players who are not highly attentive, they're going to fall by the wayside. And I think you're going to start to see some consolidation. So you're going to start seeing some companies, you know, take a heads and shoulders lead above others. Um, and we're living in an amazing time um, for, um, for, for marketing and uh, media. So um, and, and, and any company who has a product, good, or service that is replenishable in any fashion is a candidate for um, bringing a good subscription to, uh, to market. So um, I, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never seen anything this exciting. That's fantastic. And you know, we can only kind of look ahead and, and see how the industry moves. Jim, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. Amy, and thank you. Really absolutely, absolutely. And, and for those of you listening, this is Amy Honorado. And, uh, We'll see you next week.